Hello and welcome to Phoenix Talks. My name's Jade and today I'm joined by James Russell, head of Leicester Media School at De Montfort University, to talk about Mary Poppins and its sequel, Mary Poppins Returns, nostalgia and why Disney is still so popular today. So why do you think Mary Poppins is still so popular? Well, I think it's hard to gauge just how popular the film is. I don't have raw data, you know. Um, but I, I think it is true that there's a kind of huge nostalgia for Mary Poppins Partly amongst kind of baby boomers, people who grew up in the 60s, obviously the film was released, I think, in 1964, the original. Um, But also in in these kind of subsequent generations of kids. Disney's, historically, its strategy has has been to kind of of re-release its films and to generate this kind of ongoing interest in in its films. So I remember seeing Mary Poppins as a kid. Um, and I'm sure subsequent generations, your generations have, my parents' generations have. So there's a huge number of people who've been exposed to Mary Poppins over the last 50-odd years of its life. I have to say, I think probably it is enduring, partly on the basis of the songs. The songs are hugely memorable, um, really from the very beginning. Also, it is, at some level, it's a kind of quintessential Disney film in the sense that it, it partly is about child-rearing and growing up and things like that. And the, the sort of Edwardian setting doesn't really matter. In that sense, it's very much like Peter Pan. You know, it's this kind of universal story of children going on a magical adventure, right? And that is a very Disney story. Disney loves those stories and has historically loved those stories because they kind of encapsulate what Disney has always, especially since the 1950s, been about. That sense of watching a Disney film and and more generally engaging with Disney as a sort of entertainment force through its theme parks and other things um, that's that sort of almost played out in this kind of um, magical sort of narrative in the film you know in Peter Pan the kids go to a kind of magical land and have a bunch of adventures right and they basically go through a series of kind of themed worlds sounds awfully much like Disneyland itself right uh, and the same is true largely of Mary Poppins you know okay there's this sort of British setting um, but again Mary Poppins is this sort of actually quite Disney-esque in the film at least figure of kind of authority but also fun they go through these series of themed song and dance kind of numbers where the children are kind of sort of educated kind of um, but so are the adults you know, the whole point of that film is about saving Mr. Banks, right, the, the name of the follow-up. And that's a very Disney story about adults rediscovering the magic of childhood. That's what Disney was kind of all about. So for Disney, it fits what Disney is all about. And I think for consumers, it is just that enduring story of childhood magic and, and sort of combined with very positive songs. Someone this morning said to me, well, Mary Poppins is one of my favourite films. And I did think, what, really? You're 55, right? You know, um, so it's obviously impacted upon an awful lot of people, right? And then, then that means there's this huge body of people with kind of fondness and nostalgia for the film. Often people, I suspect, who don't remember the film very well, right? That's a kind of important part of it, because Mary Poppins is very long, right? That's one of the things that by the time those chimney sweeps rock up and do their song and dance number, you're really starting to think, oh boy, this is dragging if you watch it as an adult now. Um, but it is nonetheless the songs, Chim Chimney and all that, they're really enduring. And Julie Andrews is a kind of national treasure in the role too. Think about how that role, Mary Poppins kind of reoccurs in children's media. Nanny McPhee, stuff like that, and the magical governess. Even Paddington is a bit like that kind of film. And if you want more, if you want more, 
it also is a very sort of twee, internationally appealing version of Britain. You know, British American films about Britain, from Mary Poppins to Harry Potter and Paddington, they do they love this sort of twee, slightly Victorian kind of vision of what Britain is like. Sort of magic realism kind of stuff. It's very similar in that regard to those films too. So that's very sellable. It's very Disney as well. So those reasons. For a start, right, I could say more. So what do you think the expectations are for the sequel, Mary Poppins Returns? Um, I, I think there is quite a considerable weight of expectation around the film because this is something where it, it's not like the Lion King remake, which is coming out next year, where there's, yeah, there's a whole generation of people or probably two generations of people who are going to go and see this, who want to see it. Um, this is something where there's like lots of generations of people. Um, there's a huge amount of nostalgia. Um, so I think that, that sort of audience expectations are running quite high. I, I have not spoken to someone, and because I knew I was doing this, I spoke to a few people about Mary Poppins, ranging from my own kids through to kind of colleagues here at work. I have not spoken to anyone who isn't interested in watching the film. That's something, right? I, I, I almost think um, there is an element of kind of Star Wars-iness about it. Not to the same degree. A few years ago, Disney obviously released a sequel to, to George Lucas's Star Wars films and it was hugely popular and successful partly because there was such a weight of kind of fan expectation around it I don't think the fans of Mary Poppins are as numerous or as intense as the fans of Star Wars but I think there's this much bigger group of kind of normal people who want to see the film of a cross range of ages right? all those people who it appealed to before um, so I think there's a lot of consumer expectation I think from Disney's part there's an awful lot of commercial expectation around the film. This this movie is being released in roughly the slot that in the last three years Disney have released a Star Wars movie. Now those Star Wars movies have made a lot of money. Each of them has clocked over a billion dollars worldwide and The Force Awakens clocked over two billion dollars worldwide. So Disney doesn't have a Star Wars film this Christmas for the first time in a while. Um, so a lot of its commercial expectations are riding on Mary Poppins and I think it, it, it probably is released at the right time in the sense of while it's very different from a Star Wars film, yeah, there is a historical weight of interest in it from these many generations of people. Um, and it's released at a time when musicals are doing really, really well. Look, last year in a similar slot, The Greatest Showman did really well. Not, it, you know, it didn't make a billion dollars, but it had a huge impact, particularly in Britain, oddly enough. In America, The Greatest Showman's much less of a thing, whereas in Britain, it was a huge hit. Um, and just in the last few months, we've seen very different kind of film, but Star is Born, a sort of rock musical, do pretty well, over $300 million on international release. Bohemian Rhapsody, who boy, right? Bohemian Rhapsody's made about $600 million, million dollars rather, not billion dollars. Um, now, they're slightly different kinds of films, but Bohemian Rhapsody is the more straight-up musical of the two, a more adult-oriented rock biopic. Um, but I think there is... I, I never thought I'd see it. I think the musical is pretty much back. Mamma Mia 2 earlier in the year, it's really back. So to have a big, nostalgic Disney musical released at Christmas, Mary Poppins, right, like, that's going to make money, right? So Disney's expectations will be high, and I think, I think normal viewers, their expectations are high as well. Okay, so why do you think Disney is making so many sequels and live-action remakes of their old classics? Disney's strategy has always been to, to sort of 
throughout the, the, the 20th century, from really from Snow White onwards, to kind of re-release its older films. Right? And there's a reason why Snow White is the highest grossing film of all time, after Gone with the Wind, just, if you adjust figures for inflation. Um, that's because it got re-released so many times throughout the 20th century. And the same is true with you know all sorts of things. When I was a kid, I saw The Jungle Book at the cinema. I saw Peter, the first film I ever saw was Peter Pan at the cinema, right? So they just got re-released. It's before video or, or anything like that. Um, they were always very good at revisiting their back catalogue and their brand was defined, even by the time I was a kid in the 80s, by a certain kind of nostalgia. Um, over the years, Disney has been kind of better and worse at milking that nostalgia for all it's worth. I mean, a few years ago, Disney largely speaking, made sort of direct-to-DVD sequels to its big animated hits and weren't particularly good and weren't at particularly high quality, right? Um, and then, uh, in the sort of late noughties, following the merger with Pixar, um, John Lasseter, now disgraced John Lasseter, was brought on board from Pixar um, to take over kind of ownership of Disney's animated wing. And one of the things Lasseter brought from Pixar, I think was this great sense of nostalgia for and respect for Disney's back catalogue. He was very critical of those direct-to-DVD sequels, and he felt Disney should return to its core um, focus and be very proud of its of its back catalogue and almost be kind of commemorative or celebrative of what he felt were these massively important and iconic texts. Um, that certainly seems to be what has happened if you read between the lines. And, and then with a the new CEO at Disney, Robert Iger, this became a strategy that they pursued. And they stopped re-releasing their films. And actually the DVD market has largely collapsed. So collapsed rather. So that 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 sense of sort of they making money on DVD of all these old Disney movies goes. So they decided to remake them. Right? Um and that that's it's a genius decision, actually. I can't I, I can't remember what the first one is. I don't know if it's Cinderella. I think it might be Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella. I don't know if there's one before that. Cinderella did okay. Um, Beauty and the Beast did, I mean, spectacularly well. Over a billion dollars. Um, the Jungle Book made over a billion dollars. Uh, and, you know, I walked out of that movie on the grounds that it was a travesty. Even my kid wanted to leave, right? That was, the, that was the day I learned that you can get your money back from a film, right, if you leave halfway through. So I can't say I particularly like the remakes. I did like Cinderella. I thought Cinderella worked quite well. But they're... They're obviously revitalising the films for a new generation. And actually, Disney have sort of stopped their kind of classic 2D animated wing. They don't bother with that anymore. They just do remakes of their classic movies. They make a lot of money. In the pipeline now, we have Dumbo. I mean, this is coming out really soon. Dumbo, The Lion King. Um, there's Aladdin. A, Aladdin, directed by Guy Ritchie. That's weird. Um, and that uh, Mulan, that's coming out soon. So they're, they're going for it. Um, but they've also, I think Disney as a company has, has really recognised the value of nostalgia because actually Star Wars is very nostalgic. Those films themselves are about nostalgia, right, one way or another. They're, they're almost unbelievably nostalgic for the original trilogy of Star Wars films. Um, I'm not sure the Marvel movies are nostalgic, but Disney have abandoned a lot of other stuff. They just focus essentially in their cinema releases on Disney remakes some CGI animated stuff, either through Pixar or through their own wing, which is itself totally nostalgic kind of princess films for the most part, right? Um, Star Wars films and Marvel films. That's what they make, right? And at least three quarters of those films are totally defined by nostalgia. Mary Poppins fits into very much 
the remake, reboot of existing Disney properties, particularly iconic one in this case. So you're saying that they're like for a new generation, the remakes, Mm -hmm. but do you think maybe because you said you didn't like some of them, (laughs) do you think maybe they've lost some of the magic that Disney films are always thought to possess? It's hard. I mean, we're in the area of sort of personal opinion now. I, I have to say, I don't think most audiences think that. These films are, are astoundingly lucrative. They really are. They make shed loads of money. I think that, to some extent, Disney has become so good at this that it feels slightly synthetic or um, uh, pre-planned. You know, it doesn't feel... Na- I particularly notice it with Star Wars. Where Star Wars, it really does feel like they're ticking a set of boxes on each of the, these films. Even the ones I find interesting... I think, okay, well, you can really see that it's just du- 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 nostalgia, this this element, this character, this element, to the point where actually I think Disney has somehow slightly messed up Star Wars by being too beholden to what this sort of lavishing respect upon the original trilogy. Um, you know, if you look at the, the, the prequel films that George Lucas made, they're pretty much terrible, but they have a kind of character of their own. Whereas the new Star Wars films that Disney produced they, they feel very much like synthetic copies of the original trilogy, as opposed to having this sense of identity, some more so than others, and I don't dislike them. And I, to some extent, I think that is the case with the kind of reboot, reboots and remakes as well, that they hew so closely to the originals. Uh, you know, Cinderella is quite different from Cinderella the cartoon. Beauty and the Beast is not different from Beauty and the Beast, the cartoon. You know, they're really going for beat by beat. Perhaps not quite so good, right? But that's pretty much what it is, beat for beat for beat. The Jungle Book, I thought, was a disgraceful travesty. And that's the risk. Right? The risk is that people watch these films and think, this isn't as good. But they seem quite happy to take that risk. And look, I, you know, the, the Lion King is going to make all the money, right? And, and actually, it's not a formula they need to mess with particularly, because it's just an opportunity for people to go and watch that movie again. That's kind of what they've realised. Uh, I think, and it is also true that insofar as you may or may not be interested in children's films and Disney films, they still kind of make new ones. Pixar still makes original-ish films, right? More sequels than ever before. Disney's animated wing makes things like Wreck-It Ralph, which are basically Pixar films in all but name. So they still make the odd kind of more interesting film, but if anything, the, the worst thing about it is it's part of that wider trend for increasingly with big movies. They're just, they're sort of balkanised around particular kind of franchises that are very lucrative. And then kind of nothing, everything else just doesn't do very well at the box office. Um, and so the nostalgia factor is very important for Disney. But it means that perhaps we're not getting other things that might be more interesting. And children's entertainment becomes more and more just about brands. Because that's a lot of what these things are, sadly. So going back to Mary Poppins, I think pretty much with the exception of Dick Van Dyke, it's obviously an entirely mm-hmm. new cast because it's so far apart from yeah, the original. Yeah. But do you think that the cast will be able to live up to expectation, particularly Emily Blunt as Mary Poppins? Yeah, probably. I mean, uh, Julie Andrews is quite iconic in the role. And having read... I mean, we're, we're, do, we're recording this before the film is out, right? So I've read the reviews that kind of came out yesterday... Um, the reviews are generally positive about Emily Blunt. I think Emily Blunt is rightly regarded as a as a as a good actress, you know, whatever that means, right? Um, and I think, you know, they they do say she has a sort of 
steeliness in the role and sense of fun that is very much what Julie Andrew brings. Because I think Mary Poppins is supposed to be stern, but underneath the sternness is this kind of freewheeling sense of magical fun, whatever whatever the hell that is, right? Um, so I think she'll be fine in the role. I think... Otherwise, they've cast all of those kind of Paddington-type actors. It's no accident Ben Whishaw is in it. Ben Whishaw, who's had a great year with Paddington and um, a very English scandal. He's got a great amount of range with Ben Whishaw. But he seems to be totally playing Paddington in this film, as far as I can tell. A man, a man Paddington thing, right, whatever the hell he is. But he's so, you know, he's, he's sort of brand of nice, quite interesting, non-threatening Englishness is a very neat fit for this nice, non-threatening vision of England. Probably the most interesting casting is Lin-Manuel Miranda from Hamilton. I, I can't imagine he's going to start rapping. But it's, it's great casting again because, of course, Dick Van Dyke, as soon as I say I can't stop myself from saying, Mary Poppins, because of Dick Van Dyke's terrible British accent. So it's a nice bit of, of sort of off-casting. Um... So I think the cast will do okay. I, I, I suspect it's very hard to live up to the the original, especially for Emily Blunt, because Julie Andrews is so good at projecting that kind of prim school matroniness as Mary Poppins. Uh, we will see. The reviews are slightly mixed for the film, but I think probably if anyone could do it, Emily Blunt could do it. And... Um... I think in 2013, Saving Mr. Banks mm. came out, which was all about the making of the film. Do you think that perhaps inspired some hype around Mary Poppins again? Yeah. Well, I think Saving Mr. Banks, one of the things it does is it really seeks to cement Mary Poppins's position, not just as a sort of important part of Disney history, but as one of those iconic texts in understanding Disney. That's what I guess what I was trying to say earlier, that... Um, it, the story of Mary Poppins and its creation, as it's depicted in that in that kind of film, really ties together what Disney is as an entity, especially Disney's sort of mythic status, the status of the man and the company, as it as it was kind of established in the fifties and sixties, um, with that particular film. And there's a reason for that, and it's because the film is that sense of an adult's journey to sort of salvation of a, of a kind, right, um, through fantasy it is very much what Disney is about. And, and that story is also supposed to be Disney's story, the man. You know, it's not really, if you read any biography of Disney, he's, he's a very complex figure. Um, but he's often, because he became a kind of public figure, he's perceived in simplistic ways. So it's like the story of Mary Poppins in that film is a kind of key to understanding the, the mythic qualities of Disney, the corporation, and the man in various ways. Uh, it wasn't a hugely popular film. It was kind of quite popular. Um, I think it just served to keep Mary Poppins alive in the public consciousness. Uh, um, you know, Mary Poppins is not a film that's been on re-release in quite the same way as The Jungle Book or something like that. But it just uh, had that purpose of linking together the man, the company, the film, the story. Um, I kind of think, actually, as you look back now, a sequel was sort of inevitable. Especially now. If you think about how much Disney is into nostalgia now, it's, it's a complete non-surprise that we have it. And that film played a part in setting that up, I think. 
Yeah, so finally, the key word that seems to be coming up a lot here is nostalgia. Mm. So do you think that that is the main reason why Disney is so big still today? To some extent, yeah. I think Disney's brand has become increasingly geared around nostalgia as a sort of sellable commodity. And, and that's, it's always been there to some extent, but nostalgia for Disney's products, nostalgia for our own childhoods, that's a key part of what Disney sells. You know, by engaging with Disney's products, you get to revisit some of the more positive elements of your childhood. And it's all about kind of recapturing your own sense of kind of childhood magic and things like that. Um, so that's always been part of Disney. It has always been there. I just think Disney have got a hell of a lot better at, at selling it and at understanding. I, I mean, now I, I feel like understanding its value. Now I feel like Disney is so precious with its commodities and with its sort of key iconic texts that um, it, that it, it can be a little bit stifling, I suppose. Um, but I think it's absolutely central. It, it's one of the pillars on which Disney is built, basically. It's interesting how much, since Disney have owned Star Wars, Star Wars has become about nostalgia, you know, really intensely. To the extent that The Last Jedi is... The, the film seems to have this undercurrent that nostalgia is bad, that seems to be the theme of the film, and yet it's so nostalgic, you know, like just like the last one, it completely re, you know, reimagines the same plot as a whole load of other films. Right? Um, the other pillar that Disney's built on is Marvel. I don't think you can overestimate the importance that Marvel has had for Disney's sort of commercial, certainly its theatrical wing anyway, um, for Disney's kind of commercial performance over the last few years. And that is less nostalgic. It, it, you know, Marvel is something else. Marvel feels to me like um, this complete outlier in the film industry that other companies are trying to copy. Let's have a shared universe, superheroes, whatever, stuff like that. Um, three films a year, they all make a billion dollars, and no one else can really copy properly. You know, somehow Mar there's something particularly about Marvel that was kind of ongoing before Disney bought it. You know, Disney bought it after the Avengers or around the time of the first Avengers film. Um, and it really helped it to grow to greater success. But there's never been in Hollywood's history a money-making brand like Marvel. And, and that is, there is an element of nostalgia there because these are iconic texts from the baby boomers from the 60s and 70s, largely. Um, but it, it, it probably is less about nostalgia and, and more about the, the public's endless, unquenchable appetite for superhero films. And then actually, otherwise, Disney's commercial performance is largely prevaricated on its ownership of TV and sports networks in the US and theme parks, from which it makes more money than it makes movies. You know, movies are actually not the biggest bit of Disney's business, although it all sort of fits together, and things like the theme parks are totally dependent on the movies as a sort of source of content. Nostalgia is also a bit of a dual-edged sword. So, you know, sometimes it can really encourage people but then you do get films before we started started recording we were talking about Blade Runner 2049 you do get films where okay investing in that was a really bad idea because there just isn't enough nostalgia there are a handful of kind of really intense nerds who love Blade Runner and then there's everyone else who's kind of indifferent and and who probably don't want a three-hour version of Blade Runner like it's really sad um I think Disney have successfully avoided that trap Right, and they, they've been able to produce films that largely speaking cater to a, a kind of appetite for personal and almost brand-focused nostalgia very successfully. 
Thanks to James for talking to me today. Mary Poppins returns screens at Phoenix from Friday the 21st of December to Thursday the 3rd of January, excluding Christmas and New Year's Day. Thanks for listening and hope you tune in next time.